Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth should change. And the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, and the mountains quake with their surging. God's blessings are like a river. They fill the city of God with joy. That city is the holy place where the Most High God lives. God dwells in that city. It cannot be destroyed. From the very break of day, God will protect it. Well, hello. Welcome this weekend. So good to see you guys at Seacoast. My name is Roy Jakes, and I'm the campus pastor of our Somerville campus so good to be with you. I want to give a big shout out to the Somerville campus watching online with us today. Miss you guys and uh, look forward to being back with you next week. Also want to welcome all those who are joining us online or maybe from one of the other distant campuses. We're so glad that you guys are here with us as well. Hey, let me ask you a question as we get started this weekend. How many of you ever remember uh, maybe the first time that you became painfully aware of the connection between your disobedience and the consequences of your disobedience. Uh, yeah, yeah, I see already a little bit of laughter in the room. Uh, maybe it was a time your parents told you to do something or maybe they told you not to do something and you ignored them and you did it anyway and you suffered some pretty painful consequences. Anybody got a story about that this weekend? Yeah? Uh, maybe it was a teacher. Maybe your teacher gave you some instruction and uh, gave you a heads up about something that you needed to do and you decided just to ignore or him and, and uh, it came back to, to bite you pretty bad. Anybody got a story there? Yeah? I've got, I've got one I can remember back. I'm not sure it was the first time ever, but I can remember probably for me the most significant time in my childhood that I made that connection between my disobedience and the consequences of my disobedience. It, I want to take you back to 1987. How many of you remember the 80s? Come on. Greatest decade ever, right there, all right? The 80s were awesome. In 1987, I was 10 years old. I'll save you the math. Some of you are going to be there for the next several minutes trying to figure out how old I am. I'm 40 years old. But in 1987, as a 10-year-old boy, I had a dream. I had a, a vision for my life, and uh, it was that I wanted to be the next professional BMX freestyle rider, all right? In 1986, somebody reminded me of this last night, in 1986, the movie Rad came out. Any of you remember the movie Rad? It was cheesy as all get out. I looked at clips last night, it was bad. But it inspired me uh, as a 10-year-old boy that I wanted to, to, to be the next professional BMX rider. And so in order to accomplish my dream, I had to have a serious bike. Now, uh, this was not, you know, Walmart wasn't gonna, gonna do for what I needed to become the next professional bike rider. And so I set my heart on my dream bike. I, I begged my parents for it, and I picked it out, and I begged them, and I begged them for it. And finally, as a 10-year-old boy, the day came where my parents gave me, and they bought me my dream bike. And I brought a picture of it with me this morning. Here's what it looked like back in 1987. <laughs> that was my dream bike as a 10-year-old. Now, I know you guys ain't laughing at my pink bike, all right? Because in 1987, this bike was as cool as it gets, all right? Now, I know some of you are thinking pink is never cool for a guy. In 1987, it was, all right? This was my Mongoose Decade Pro in hot pink. Hot pink, not just pink, hot pink. 
all right? And, and this bike was a, was a coveted bike. Some of you have, have enjoyed uh, over the, the weekend. I've gotten lots of comments helping you reminisce about the days when some of you were here as well. It was on this bike that, that, uh, that I would learn to do things like the endo. How many of you remember the endo? Yep, I see you shaking your head. I would learn how to pogo, all right? I would learn to get up on the pegs and, and I could bounce on the front tire or I could bounce on the back tire. I could get up on the front tire and spin this bike around and, and I could whip the back end around as I jumped over the, the top tube. I even got to a point where I could do a frame stand. A frame stand was where I would stand up on this middle part here and stand up vertically with no hands. And uh, man, I could do so many tricks on that bike. It was, it was awesome. And, and that was my dream bike. In fact, I was so serious about my pursuit of being the next professional BMXer that I was reading a BMX magazine one time as a 10-year-old, and I saw a sketch for a quarter pipe. And I just knew in order to reach my dreams, I needed to build this quarter pipe. And for some reason, my dad actually agreed to help me build it. I don't know what he was thinking. I know we do the craziest things for our kids, and I appreciate dad's confidence in me. But as a 10-year-old, we built something like this in my backyard. Yes, as a 10-year-old. Now, I remember the first time I stood on top of that thing, and I thought, I am never in my life going to actually drop in on this thing. But, but that's what I built in my backyard because I was serious about this pursuit. So I finally had my dream bike, and, and life was good. And my, my world kind of revolved around that bike every day. Uh, it, it was the envy of the neighborhood. Uh, some of the other kids had them as well, but, but I had a really cool bike. And I remember one day, uh, like probably many of you as parents have done, one day I was inside and my dad came home. And as he came home, he said, Roy, you need to go outside and move your bike inside. It's still sitting outside. And being 10 years old, having way more important things to do than to listen to my dad, um, I ignored his, his instructions to me. And so I went to bed that night and I woke up the next morning and to my horror discovered that somebody had stolen my bike. As a 10-year-old, I was crushed. Uh, it, was, it was devastating to me that somebody would steal my bike. This bike that I had dreamed of and that I'd worked so hard on, this, this bike that was going to help me accomplish my professional goals was now gone. And that was a hard lesson to learn as a 10-year-old, but it was, it was an important lesson because the fact is, is there are painful consequences to our disobedience. And at 10 years old, I learned that. What about you this weekend? Can you remember a time in your life that through disobedience, you had to learn the hard lesson that there are painful consequences to our disobedience. Well, this week, uh, as we've been doing re uh, reading through the Word together, Year in the Word, here as a church, we started off at the beginning of the year reading through God's Word week in and week out together. And this past week's readings brought us to the book of Deuteronomy. And in Deuteronomy, Moses is writing to the people of Israel and he's got some instruction for them. But when we pick up in Deuteronomy chapter 1, Moses is recounting to the Israelites the past 40 years of their history. And, and he reminds them in Deuteronomy chapter 1 that 40 years before, as he's writing, 40 years, or as he's speaking, 40 years before, their Israelite, their ancestors, had been released from captivity in Egypt. They had, they had been released from Pharaoh's uh, rule out of captivity, and, and God had promised them this incredible land that we know is the promised land. And so when they left Egypt, they took a short 11-day journey, and they were right on the cusp of stepping into 
the promised land, and Moses is reminding the Israelites before them, before him, that the previous generation, right as they were about to step into the promised land, disobeyed God. And because of their disobedience, God sent them back out into the wilderness and said that they would have to wander around in the wilderness for the next 40 years. And on top of that, he said that not one of those in that generation that had been disobedient would ever see the promised land. And so in Deuteronomy, Moses is writing 40 years later. He's speaking to the Israelites before him. It's a new generation. All the previous generation is gone. And they're back where they started 40 years ago. They're about to enter into this great land called the promised land. And in Deuteronomy chapter 4, Moses has some words for the Israelites. And here's what he writes. And now, Israel, listen carefully to these decrees and regulations that I'm about to teach you. In the coming chapters, Moses is about to give them what we know as the Ten Commandments. Instructions on how to live their life. God's word about how they're to live their lives. And so Moses is giving them this warning. He says, obey them so that you may live. So you may enter and occupy the land that the Lord, the God of your ancestors, is giving you. Do not add to or subtract from these commands I am giving you. Just obey the commands of the Lord your God that I am giving you. I love the way the NLT says that there. Just obey. Don't, don't add to it. Don't subtract from it. Don't question it. Don't ask why. Just obey. The problem is, if we're honest this weekend, there's probably many of us who just at the, 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 the hearing of the word obey, there's something inside of us that begins to get a little squirmy. There's something about this concept of obedience that for many of us feels like fingers on a chalkboard. We don't even like the sound of the word obey or obedience. Part of that is because of just what we know it means. The definition of obedience is compliance with an order, oof, an order, a request or law. I mean, some of you right now are already, you're feeling that thing rising up inside of you. You're getting uncomfortable right now. But, but it gets worse. Watch this. Or submission. Ooh, we brought out the S word. Submission to another's authority. There's something inside of us that when we just hear these words, obedience, compliance, order, submission, there's something inside of us that just kind of cringes. We're resistant to this concept of obedience. Why is that? Well, I believe there's at least three. There's probably more, but, but three that, that I came up with that I th think are important for us to look at this weekend, and they're there in your, your outline sheet. The first reason I think we're resistant to obedience is because it's part, number one, of our sin nature. Now, hang with me for a second. I know some of you are like, oh, he brought out the sin word on the very first point. Hang in there with me. What I mean by this is that there is something naturally inside. We are, we are naturally inclined. We, are nat we have a natural bend towards sin and disobedience. And it began, it began all the way back in Genesis with our great, 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 great grandparents, right? Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve were the very first ones to disobey God. And the Bible says that because of Adam and Eve's disobedience, that 
every single one of us that has ever been born after Adam and Eve, which includes everybody in this room, that we were all born with a sin nature. That is, we have a, a bend, we have a natural inclination towards sin and disobedience. It's what we do in our natural selves. The Apostle Paul, even the Apostle Paul uh, in Romans is wrestling with this idea and, and maybe like you, he sees himself and he's, he's watching himself uh, you know, wrestle with this idea of sin and disobedience and doing things. And here's what he writes in Romans chapter seven. It kind of reads like an Abbott and Costello, who's on first? So watch, if it gets a little confusing, just hang with me. He says, so the trouble is not with the law for it is spiritual and good. The trouble is with who? Me, with all of us. The trouble's not with the law. The trouble is with me, for I am all too, what? Human, a slave to sin. I don't really understand myself for what I want to do, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But if I know that what I am doing is wrong, this shows that I agree that the law is good. So I am not the one doing wrong. It is what? Sin living in me that does it. How many of you can resonate with that? There are times in our lives where when we don't want to do things, we do them. And when we know we should do things and we want to do things, we don't do them. Probably all of us. And so if you're here this weekend and you find yourself resonating with that, you find yourself that, hey, I struggle with sin and disobedience. There's something inside of me that is naturally bent towards disobedience. Guess what? I've got good news for you. You're human. It's part of who we are. It's part of our sin nature. There's a second reason I think we're resistant to this concept of obedience, and it's because it's part of our cult uh, cultural DNA. It's part of the fabric of who we are as a culture. Take a look at this picture. When you see this picture, what does this remind you of? What does this take you back to? It takes you back to, to the founding of our country, right? Okay? Uh, George Washington, this was 1776, okay? Why was our country founded? Our country was founded because we were tired of somebody else telling us what to do, right? Uh, we, a king in England, we were tired of being under the rule of somebody who was trying to tell us how to live our lives. Now, I know that's a little simplistic, but, but there's something inside us that doesn't like to be told what to do. It's part of our cultural DNA. So fast forward 250 years later, and, and in our culture today, there seems to be this glorification of disobedience. It's cool to be disobedient. It's in the music we listen to. It's in the shows that we watch. In fact, probably most of you could finish this sentence, right? Good guys finish last. It's, it's, it's sayings like that. Do good guys really always finish last? Of course they don't. But there's something inside our culture that has, that has, has, has tr uh, conditioned us to believe that somehow to do the right thing, somehow to be obedient leads to us falling behind and lagging behind everyone else. It's part of our cultural DNA. But there's a third reason that I believe we're resistant to this concept of obedience. And I believe for most of us this weekend, this will be the thing that we resonate with the most. And it's that we've all had bad experiences with someone that we were supposed to obey. We've all had bad experience with a, a person in our life that we were supposed to be obedient to. Maybe it was a parent. Maybe it was a teacher. 
Maybe it was a, a, a um, coach. And as a child, one of these figures uh, betrayed your trust. One of these figures, uh, they, they uh, took advantage of you in some way. They hurt you in some way. And, and, and all you could do was associate the fact that here's an authority figure, here's a person in my life that I was told I was obey, and they hurt me. As an adult, maybe it's a, a boss, a supervisor. Maybe it's a, 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 a friend. Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's, a, uh, maybe it's in government. Maybe it's in uh, politics. That we see these authority figures in our life who seem to be more interested in what's in their best interest instead of what's in our best interest. And so it'd be real easy for us just to throw off all trust, to throw off the concept that how can I be obedient to people who have hurt me over and over again? Now we gotta be careful here because as Christ followers, as, as, as Christians, it's not an option for us just to throw off all submission to authority. In fact, uh, Paul in Romans chapter 13, he reminds us, he says, all authority comes from who? God. And those in positions of authority have been placed there by who? God. The authority figures in our life, your parents, your teachers, your coaches, your government officials, the police, these are authority figures in our life that the Bible says have been placed there by God to help make us and, and mold us into the men and women that God desires for us to be. Unfortunately, sometimes they disappoint us. Unfortunately, sometimes they do things that hurt us. And the reason why is because like you and like me, they're all too human. They have a sin nature themselves. They have bad days like you and I do. They have addictions and hang-ups that cause them to make decisions that are harmful to other people around them. We've all had bad experiences with people that we were supposed to obey. And so it leaves us this weekend with this question. Who or what is worthy of our obedience? Is there anybody or anything that is worth our obedience? Is there anybody that we could really entrust our obedience to. Now for the Christian, I would say that this was answered for us when we gave our lives to Christ. Now there are a lot of voices vying for your obedience. There are lots of things in your life that are clamoring for your obedience and whether you, under, whether you realize it or not, you're going to be obedient to something or to someone. It's really not a question of are we going to be obedient. It's a question of who we're going to be obedient to. There are lots of voices. There are lots of people in your life who are going to try to tell you how to live your life. Obviously, your parents are going to be one of those. They're also going to include people like your friends, your family, your coworkers, your neighbors. Culture is going to try to tell you how to live your life. The, the, the artist that you listen to, the music that you listen to is gonna try to shape how you live your life. The television shows that you watch, they're trying to shape who you are. There are lots of voices trying to shape your life. And then there's God. And there's God's word. And for the Christian, for those of us who have, who have, who have committed our lives to Christ, this, the, the answer, the question of who is worthy or who we're going to be obedient to 
should have been settled when we gave our life to Christ. Because the fact is, is that the call to be a Christ follower isn't just a call to enjoy and to accept the benefits of being a Christ follower. There's lots of benefits to being a Christ follower. We get forgiveness of sin, that's awesome. We get eternity with God in heaven, that's amazing. We get hope and joy this side of heaven that we wouldn't have otherwise. There are amazing benefits to being a Christ follower. But the call to be a follower of Jesus isn't just about the benefits, but it's also about our submission to the authority of God in our lives. We see this in the very first disciples in Matthew chapter 4, verse 19, when Jesus calls the very first disciples, he says, come what? Follow me. And, and for the disciples, the, the evidence of, of being a, a follower of Jesus was demonstrated in their willingness to drop everything and to actually follow Jesus. And so for the Christian, uh, the, for the Christian God and God's word in our life trumps everything. When, when God's word and what our friends tell us we should, how we should be living our lives, when those two collide, God's word for the Christ follower takes precedence over what our friends tell us. For the Christian, when God's word collides with what the culture around us would tell us about how we're to live our lives, God's word always takes precedence over what the culture would tell us what our life should look like. But sadly, I feel like our churches are filled with people who have, who have bought into the benefits and who, who desire the benefits of being a Christ follower, but aren't ready to submit to the authority of God and to walk out obedience in their lives. And I say sadly for this reason, and I want you to hear me, if you hear nothing else today, if you, uh, if, if you tune me out from here on out, just listen to this one thing, because I want you to hear, why is this so important? Because it'd be real easy to, to see today's message as like, you know, Roy's you know, preaching at you, or you know, he's just telling us how bad and sinful we are, and that's not it at all. I want you to hear the heart behind this passage and this, this, this message today. It's because as a pastor, as, as your pastor, I see so many of you and I see so many families in the church, I see so many people in the church who are facing the painful consequences of disobedience. They, they come into my office on a weekly basis and their marriages are falling apart because they just don't wanna submit to the things that God has called them to in marriage. Families, families being torn apart, kids having to walk through things that no kid should ever have to walk through because adults, people who claim the name of Christ, just simply aren't living like Jesus in their lives. And it breaks my heart because God wants better for you and God wants better for me. And I believe God has something better for us if we'll simply walk the road of obedience. So here's what I wanna do over the next few minutes with our time remaining. I wanna help you understand why is God worthy of our obedience? It's not enough just to say we're supposed to be obedient to God. I believe that there are at least three reasons this morning that, that are very compelling that would, that would help you, I would hope convince you this morning that God is worthy of your obedience. And here's the first thing that I see. Number one, God is worthy of our obedience because God can be trusted. 
God can be trusted. See, as we've already said, the problem with most of us is that we have been hurt by, we've had these bad experiences by authority figures. And really what it comes down to for, for most of the time is that the motives of those who are authority figures over us, the motives of the people who have tried to tell us how to live our lives, their motives aren't pure. There's something always extra. It's, it's not about what's purely in my best interest, but it always has a measure of what's best for them. And so what we've, what we've decided, here's the sad part is, is what we've done is we have projected onto God those same feelings of mistrust. What we've come, we've come to a place, a lot of us have come to a place in life where we've said, I can't trust anybody with my obedience. I can't trust submitting my life to anybody because time and time again, what it has told me is I get hurt and I get hurt. And we've projected that onto God. Now, we all do this in some way, right? I, I, I'm a parent of four. How many of you as parents would confess today like me that there are times in my life where I've told my kids to do things that were a whole lot less about what's in their best interest or were a whole lot for my best interest, huh? Yeah, we've all done that as parents. Bedtime sometimes changes night to night based upon how daddy's day went or how mommy's day went, right? <laughs> we need some extra time tonight without the kids, so bedtime just got moved up 30 minutes today, right? We do this, we're human. And the fact is, is that, that, that all humans have an element of what's in it for me. And so these authority figures in our life, there always seems to be something else. But here's the thing you need to understand about God, and here's why God can be trusted. Because God's motives are always pure. Because God doesn't need anything from us. God doesn't need anything from you. He doesn't need anything from me. Acts chapter 17, it says this, he is the God who made the world and everything in it. Since he is Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in man-made temples and human hands can't serve his needs for he has no needs. He himself gives life and breath to everything and he satisfies every need. When God gives us commands, when God gives us instructions, Guys, we can trust it because we know God doesn't need anything from us. God's commands in our life, God's word in our lives, it, ha it has nothing to do with what God needs from us. And it has everything to do with what God wants for us. God wants better for you and for me. God doesn't, want us, God doesn't want us to have to walk through the painful consequences of our disobedience. And so we can trust God when he tells us how to live our lives because we know that his motives are always pure. There's a second reason that we can trust our obedience to God and it's because God is loving. He is loving. 1 John 4, 16 says this, we know how much God loves us and we have put our trust in his love. God is what? Love. God is love. God doesn't just demonstrate love. God doesn't just model love. God is the very essence of love. He is love. Which means 
whatever love is, that's what God is. Everything that flows from God, everything that comes from God, all of his instruction, all of his word, all of his commands in our life are from a heart of love. God can't do otherwise. He is love. Now, many of you are probably familiar with uh, 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter. Probably many of you had that read at your wedding or you've heard it somewhere before. And in 1 Corinthians 13, the Apostle Paul is writing and he describes for us what perfect love looks like. And he describes the kind of love that, that all of us would desire to receive from others and all of us would hope to be able to give to others as well. And that's why we read it at weddings. It, it serves as the example of here's what marriage, here's what love and marriage should look like. Now, with the understanding that God is love, here's what I want to do today. I want to read 1 Corinthians 13, and everywhere that it says, well, it describes love, or everywhere it says love, what would happen if we put in its place God? Here's the way it would read. Listen to this and let this sink deep into your hearts. God is patient and kind. God is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. He does not demand his own way. He is not irritable and he keeps no record of being wronged. God does not rejoice with injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. He never gives up. God never loses faith. God is always hopeful, and God endures through every circumstance. Isn't that cool? God is love. And we can trust that everything that comes from God, we can trust that every instruction that God speaks into our life through his word, the Bible, we can trust that it comes from a father who loves us and is seeking our, own, seeking our good, not his good. But there's a third reason I believe that we can trust our obedience to God this weekend, and it's this. Because God's word, his word, brings life. God's word brings life. When we're obedient to God, the result is always life. We can know and trust that on the other side of obedience, God always has something good for us. We saw it in that opening verse, that opening scripture that we read, Deuteronomy chapter 4, 1, when Moses is is, is pleading with the Israelites. He says, and now Israel, listen carefully to these decrees and regulations that I'm about to teach you. Obey them so that you may what? Live. There is life and obedience. So you may enter and occupy the land that the Lord, the God of your ancestors, is giving you. Moses is saying, listen to me. There's life. There's, there, God's got this great thing for you. But the only way you're going to experience it, the only way you're going to be able to step into it is if you walk the hard road of obedience. But here's what I promise you. On the other side of your obedience is life. There's always life on the other side of obedience. And it doesn't always feel like it in the moment. We, we look around at other people who who, who aren't submitted to God and we think, man, they're having a whole lot more fun than we are. We think, oh, they're getting, they're getting ahead in life more than we are. And we think, man, it'd just be easier to, be, to walk the road of disobedience. 
But, but, but as we read God's word and as we grow in our faith, what we come to understand is that there's always life in doing what God commands us to do. Now, I love this week. Uh, there's a, another passage in our reading this week that I think fits so beautifully with this and just kind of uh, encapsulates a, a great picture of what this looks like. And it happened in Matthew chapter 26. Hopefully you read it this week. It's the, it's the story of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. It's so cool, we read that, we're leading up to Easter next week, and in Matthew chapter 26, Jesus is on the eve, he's praying one night in a garden, and he's about to be arrested. He's about to, to, to voluntarily be arrested, and he's about to give up his life for you and for me. And he knows that he's about to walk through the hardest thing that not only he's ever walked through, but the hardest thing that any human being could ever walk through this brutal death to ultimately hang on the cross. It was something he agreed to. It was something that he, uh, he, he, he said yes to. I, I just, in, in eternity past, uh, God the Father came to God the Son and said, listen, I've got a mission for you. I, I need you to do something. If, if we're ever gonna have a relationship with, with, with creation, with, 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 our, with our creation, the people that we love, we gotta figure out this sin thing, and the only way it's gonna happen is if you go into the world that they live in, if you become like one of them, and if you give your life on a cross. And Jesus said, okay, I'll do it. And so Jesus came into our world, he became like us. John, in the book of John, the gospel of John, John says it this way, in the beginning was the what? The word. And the word was with God, and the word was God. And then 13 uh, verses later in John 1, 14, he says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Now, now, watch this, this is so cool, this connection. The word was who? The word was Jesus. In the beginning, Jesus existed. He was with God and he was God. And Jesus came into our world and he dwelt among us. And he became like you and he became like me and he lived among us for 33 years. And at the end of his life in Matthew chapter 26, he's about to be arrested and give up his life. And he's in a garden at night and he's praying. And do you remember the prayer that he's praying? It went something like this. God... I know I agreed to this, but if there's any other way that, that the mission can be accomplished that doesn't require me to have to walk through what I'm about to walk through, God, I'm asking you to do that. God, I know what you've called me to, but if I'm being honest right now, I'd rather not do it. How many of you can resonate with that? Is there, maybe, maybe you're there this weekend. You're, you're facing a decision. You're, you're, you're looking at something in the face and you're wrestling with whether, you be, whether to be obedient to what God has called you to or to be disobedient. And you know that to walk the road of obedience means it might be painful in the short term. You know that to walk the road of obedience might not look like it's for your best in the short term. And you're wrestling and you're saying, God, help me understand what to do. And so Jesus prays this prayer, but, but, but do you remember every time he prayed that prayer, he always, three times he ended it with this. But at the end of the day, not my will, but your will. 
That is to say, God, I'm asking you for another way. I'm asking you for a way out of this. But at the end of the day, if you tell me this is what I have to do, the answer is yes. Every time, the answer is yes. And listen, because Jesus said yes, I want you to catch this, because the word of God, Jesus the word, because the word said yes, you and I received what? Life. The word always brings life. And when we say yes to God, when we say yes to the things of God, even though it might not feel good in the moment, even though it might not look like what's in our best in the moment, we can trust that God's word always leads to life. Aren't you thankful that Jesus said yes? Aren't you thankful that we experience what we get to experience today because Jesus walked the hard road of obedience? Now, I found a passage this week that I think perfectly sums up what, I, what I'm trying to communicate this weekend. It comes from Hebrews chapter 10. It's there on your outline sheet. In Hebrews chapter 10, we read this. It says, think back on those early days when you first learned about Christ. Remember how you remained faithful even though it meant terrible suffering? Sometimes you were exposed to public ridicule and were beaten. And sometimes you helped others who were suffering the same things. You suffered along with those who were thrown into jail, and when all you owned was taken from you, you accepted it with joy. The writer of Hebrews is writing to a group of Christians, and you just get the sense that they're struggling with obedience. They're struggling with, do we continue to do the things that God calls us to do? And he's saying, and he's, he's imploring, he's taking them back. He says, do you remember when you first gave your lives to Christ? Do you remember when you first became followers of Jesus? How you endured everything, how you said yes to God, even though it meant things being taken from you, even though it meant that it didn't always look like it was for your good, but you continued to be obedient to God. Do you remember those days? He says, you knew there were better things waiting for you that will last forever. And then here's what he says, and here's what I believe the writer of Hebrews would say to you and to me this morning. So do not throw away this confident trust in the Lord. Remember the great reward it brings you. Patient endurance is what you need now so that you will continue to do God's will. Then you will receive all that he has promised. Church, listen to me. My hope and my prayer for you this weekend is that as you come up against things, as we read God's word and as we go through a year in the word together, we're gonna continue to, to dive into God's word and there are gonna be times where we're gonna come up against things. For some of you, it's gonna be brand new. For some of, things, some of you, you're gonna read things and you're gonna go, wow, I never knew that was in there. And sometimes, maybe often, God's commands, God's word is gonna conflict with the way culture tells us to live our lives. It's gonna conflict with the way your friends are telling you you should live your lives. And it's maybe even gonna conflict with the way you're actually living your life. My hope and my prayer for you is that that moment, in those moments, that you will have decided that God, whatever 
you command me. God, wherever you lead me, whatever you ask me to do, God, the answer is yes. And if that means aligning or realigning my life with what God calls me to, then God, the answer is yes. Because he can be trusted. Because we know that his word to us, his instruction to us is out of a heart of love. It's for our good. And we know that on the other side of obedience, God's word always brings life. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you so much for your word. Father, it, oh God, it, it, it's life, it's life. Father, it tells us, it shows us how we can live our lives and, and, and not walk through the painful consequences that come with disobedience. God, it, it, it shows us how we're to do marriage so that marriage works. It shows us how to be good parents so that our, our kids grow up to love the Lord and, and to be healthy. God, it shows us how to do relationships well, how to love other people around us even when they're not loving us. And Father, it shows us so much more. It literally is the lifeline to make life work. So God, I'm thankful that you didn't leave us to figure out life on our own, that you gave us the instruction book. And God, now my prayer this weekend is that we would be a people who say yes, no matter where you lead us. Father, that when we come up against your word, when we understand what it calls us to do, that we would be a people who would say yes to your word. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.